grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10, 10. And today we continue in the series on the Spirit-Filled Life with a look at spiritual warfare. The question is, are you ready for this? This is real. As many people reject the idea of a devil or a spiritual enemy. The concept clashes with their scientific modern worldview, but does rejection of a spiritual world come at a cost? This message outlines a worldview that includes a spiritual reality, a spiritual enemy, and what a person must do to be on the winning side. Grab your sword, that would be your Bible, and get ready to put on the full armor of God. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. Now today I want to take a look at what we call spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Now, it's one of those subjects that historically has been a little bit of a hotbed of extremes and abuse, weirdness. And because of that, far too many teachers and leaders avoid the topic. But I think that's a mistake because the scripture doesn't avoid the topic. Now, a couple different approaches to spiritual warfare that I've had a chance to see. Uh, The first is obsession. Okay, people get obsessed with it, you know. Many of you guys know I grew up Pentecostal, and so I got to see folks, you know, get fired up about spiritual warfare, you know. And I saw folks do crazy stuff. I mean, you know, when you start trying to cast a demon out of a chair, you know, something's messed up. I, I don't want to judge, but I'm like, okay, that chair's ugly, but it's not evil. I, you know, I don't. Bad taste is not necessarily satanic. I, come on. But I mean, you know, the, I, I saw things that weren't biblical, you know, and our guide is the scripture. That's where we go. And I saw people who made their whole lives about spiritual warfare and, you know, they'd go into communities and get into spiritual mapping and try to figure out what evil presence. I'm like, dude, you're thinking way more about the enemy than you are about Jesus. How about focusing on Jesus and on his spirit? Man, let the enemy worry about you. You don't need to worry about the enemy. Let the enemy worry about you. The other extreme that I've seen when it came to spiritual warfare is total denial just ignoring. Well, because there were some obsessions and whatever, and because I don't understand, I'm not uncomfortable, I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. That also is a mistake. You've probably experienced some type, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, some type of spiritual resistance or warfare, whether you knew it or not. Just some things that you thought, something's not right, or this, there's more going on here. You ever been in a conversation or situation, you go, there's more going on here than what's going on here. There's something else at work. You know, I think we've all had the common experience is that of, of sensing in, either in someone or in a group of people an inexplicable and often illogical position that someone takes. And you're like, particularly on, on moral issues. And you're like, this seems fairly simple. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. What's the payoff of where you go? And, and it's like, there's something else at work. I mean... Have you ever wondered about the unusual animosity that seems to exist for the Christian faith in our culture? You're like, what is that all about? I, I, I really have wondered. You know, I know that in the name of Christ, some bad things have happened in history. I understand that. I will also say, largely, those were often political entities that were using the name of Christ to try to manipulate people rather than actual Christ followers. I don't think most of those things that we kind of appeal to and go, well, what about this, what done in the name of Christ? This, well, a lot of stuff was done in the name of Christ that Christ had no part in and didn't want to have any part in. But someone was manipulating people, trying to fool people by putting on a religious cloak or a religious garment. 
But in the United States, it's like, okay, what's been so bad about Christianity? Is it that whole turn the other cheek thing that really gets under your skin? Hate those Christians and their loving of their enemies. What's up with that? Why do they do that? I mean, really, what is it that's so, but yet you listen to pop culture, you listen to kind of the mainstream culture of thought, and it's like, you would think, this is the one group that's left, Christians, that's the one group that you can kind of rail on and hammer on, and it's okay. The things that are said about Christians, the dismissive way they're spoken of and things, it's like, I can't imagine that being said of Islam, I can't imagine that being said of Buddhism, Sikhs, any other religious group, and yet it does. And it's like, what's going on? There's sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And I think the scripture has something to tell us about that. We're going to end up in Ephesians 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. But first, I want to stop off in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because listen to what Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world. He's not talking about the heavenly father. He's talking about a different small letter g god in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god you ever been you ever been kind of talking to someone or involved in a cultural conversation or watching a cultural conversation just go it's like there's a blindness it's like they're talking, but they, they, they're, they're, they only have partial information because they just can't see what's obvious. Well, what the scripture says is that there is a spiritual force that has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Paul gets much more specific in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, flip over there, Ephesians 6. I'm going to begin at verse 10. This is a pretty well-known pastor of Scripture. He talks about what we call the armor of God, so you hear a lot about this. But he makes some comments before he gets to that that I think are really instructive and significant. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I just want to stop there and ask you, is that real? I mean, really, is is that real? Because he's throwing out some big language there. He's making a a big point, and I think we have to decide, is Paul just kind of blowing smoke here, or is he trying to be real? Because those those are significant ideas. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Sounds like he believes this, and he's very serious about this. So verse 13, he says, in response to what I just said, he, he, he says this, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes on your feet for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
I think there's some things that are abundantly clear, and one is that simply the spiritual world is real. The spiritual world is real. Paul is not talking allegorically here. He's, he's saying this is real. Now, we're comfortable with that when we read John 4. You remember Jesus, last week we talked about it, John 4, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman in a well, and they get to talking about worship, and he says God is spirit. Those who worship him will worship in spirit and in truth. And we, Okay, I understand that. God is spiritual. But what Paul is saying is that there's a whole spiritual realm, and it's real. In the same way God is real and he is spirit, there is another kingdom at work, if you will, with rulers, authorities, and it is real. It's not figurative. It's real. It's not, it's not physical. It's spiritual. But it is real. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So he makes two things abundantly clear. Uh, first is, we have an enemy who is spiritual, real, and powerful. He is not stuttering on that fact. He's clear. And the second is that his goal is to destroy us. His goal is to destroy us. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the main point. The question is not, are we at war? The question is, will we fight back? The question is not, biblically, are we at war? The question is, will we fight back? We have to stop denying that there's an enemy. We have to stop denying that we're in a war. I mean, if you got the video that I sent out with the e-newsletter this week, I said, you know, surest way to lose a fight is to, to not acknowledge that you're in one. It's like when you're getting punched in the face, you can say, oh, no, I don't fight. I'm not in a fight. No, you're getting punched in the face. I can see it. That pain you're feeling every few seconds, that's punches. You're getting hit. Oh, no, no, I'm not in a fight. I don't do that. You're in a fight. I'm being a friend here. You might want to do something about that. And we laugh, oh, how ridiculous, how silly is that? Well, we're doing the same thing if we deny what the Scripture's telling us about there is a real enemy. He is spiritual, but he is real. And his intention is not for good things for us. The question is not, are we at war? The question is, will we fight back? And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Spiritual Warfare. It's in the series called The Spirit-Filled Life as found on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others just like you. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Rotama Park. Our service times are Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 and Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life. And now back to the message, Spiritual Warfare. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. A couple things worth noting that Paul brought out for us. 
Number one, we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy. And let me just begin by saying it is not the people who oppose us. Because he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay? We understand that we have an enemy, but we get caught up in the context of our culture. And we think the enemy is whoever's on the other side of, and you fill in the blank, whatever your dividing line is, the other side of the aisle. Oh, they're the enemy. Paul says, yeah, no, they're not. The other side of the table, the other side of the argument, the other side of whatever. That's the enemy. And Paul says, no, no, that's not really the enemy. Now, I've told you, I I mentioned, you know, you see some of the the, the resistance against the Christian church and stuff, and you could start to, you could become a conspiracy theorist. Any conspiracy theorists in here? Don't raise your hand, because that'll that'll weird me out. I I thought about that. You know how you do something? Bad idea. Some guy in back, yes, and our militia meeting is afterwards. No, I don't don't want to go there, all right? Uh, Yeah, I'm kind of a conspiracy theorist, but I don't think it's political. I don't think it's on a human level. And there may be. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, even if there is conspiracies on any political or human level, I believe they're rooted in something much deeper. And that's what Paul's talking about. They are motivated and moved by something spiritual. That's what he's talking about. He says, we have a real enemy, but it's not those people that we want to strike out at. And we have to decide how we're going to approach this battle. Because he says we have a real enemy, and he uses the phrases rulers, authorities, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He also used the phrase the devil, sometimes called the adversary. Different names, Lucifer, Beelzebub, but always referring to the same And I just want to say real clearly, um, he is not a literary device. He is not some symbol of the evil inherent in the heart of man. No, the Bible presents a spiritual adversary. One who comes against a real enemy. Beware the denial of sophistication. Oh, that's so, oh, come on, Sean, that's so primitive an idea. Come, come, haven't haven't we progressed beyond that, please? I just want to say the minute we get too sophisticated to take the word of God for what it says, we have a problem in our faith. And we're on a slippery slope out of our faith. All throughout the scripture we hear talk of this adversary. We find him in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, in the form of a serpent, doing what he always does, trying to deceive. In Ezekiel chapter 28, um, it's a kind of unique passage because it begins by talking about a pagan leader, the king of Tyre. But then it starts, and you see the prophet, God through the prophet, you see him, he's talking to this human leader, and it's obvious because of what he's saying. But then all of a sudden he starts saying some things, and you go, wait a minute, that can't be true of a human leader. And you realize he's no longer talking to that leader. He's talking to the spirit behind him. And he speaks past that leader to the spirit that is motivating and pulling the strings, if you will, on that leader. You're like, well, how's that possible? He talks about his beauty. He talks about the fall. And he tells us something of this spirit, Satan. You're like, well, wait a minute. How do you know that that's... It's like in the New Testament. Remember when Jesus had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Okay, it's not like he was renaming Peter. It's not, we shouldn't be calling him Saint Satan, right? 
He's, he's speaking to the spirit that had nudged Peter. The spirit that was actually coming out, unbeknownst to Peter, because of what Peter was saying. And so in Ezekiel 28, we learn of his beauty. We learn of his fall. Isaiah 14 same thing. Talk, starts by talking about a pagan leader, an earthly leader, but then starts speaking to the spirit behind him. Talks about his pride, his desire to be exalted beyond even God. Scripture describes him as one of the heavenly beings, an exalted heavenly being, but whose pride caused him to want to be exalted above the Father. New Testament talks a lot about him. Remember Jesus in the parable of the sower? He talks about the seed that falls along the side of the road and says, Satan comes, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. In John chapter 13, John tells us that after the supper ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So he says that it was this adversary who was nudging Judas Iscariot. Remember in Acts chapter 5, Simon Peter, he addresses Ananias, a man and his wife who had conspired to kind of seem more generous than they were. They were lying to the congregation, really lying to the Spirit about a gift they were going to give. And Peter says in Acts 5.3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? You know how that went for them. Not well. They both died because of their deception. Speaking of Simon Peter, in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he tells us something about this adversary of ours. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's a good word. If you're taking some notes, you might want to write down. His objective is to devour. It's not just to annoy you. It's not to make you sad. It's not just to mess up your day. His desire is to destroy you, to devour you. You need to understand that. He is our adversary and his desire is to destroy us. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us this about him. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Isn't that interesting? As an angel of light. Some of those Old Testament passages tell us he was beautiful. So he's really good at this. He disguises himself as an angel of light, so it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. A second strategy of his is that he disguises himself. In other words, he's not obvious. He comes as an angel of light. Think about that for a moment. We sometimes think, oh, if the enemy's going, it'll be dark, it'll be evil. We've seen a lot of movies. We know the kind of music that plays when something evil's going to happen. The back of the hair on my neck's going to go up, and I'll know it's the devil. Yeah, the scripture says, no, he's not that stupid. He doesn't have cool, ominous theme music that's going to pave his way in. He's deceptive. He comes as an angel of light, and it says his, those who are serving him come as angels of light. In other words, they copy good. You ever heard someone who claims to, to kind of at least give some nod to Jesus, or, oh, I, I think Jesus is great, but they're selling something that you find, wait a minute, that's completely diametrically opposed to Jesus. That's opposed to what the Word says. That's opposed to what God is about. But yet you're claiming to bear his name. That's a, some of the stuff, whether it be political or even in the context of the church, that I believe we're talking about when we talk about these horrible things that the, quote, church has done throughout history. 
often it was the enemy and his servants dressing up as angels of light for the purpose of deception. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 describes them like this. says, And the great dragon was thrown down. This is what John saw in his vision. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver, you shouldn't make note of that, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, he and his minions. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our Father. Two ideas there that are really important you might want to jot down. He's a deceiver. That is his strategy. He's called a father of lies. Not only is he a liar, he's the father of liars. He's a deceiver. So expect... When he comes and he tries to influence, it is going to be through deception. Second, he's called the accuser. The accuser. Do you know many people walk around with, these, with this beaten up kind of self-image or beaten up image of them, idea of themselves or of what God wants for them or of who they are? And, and do you know that is a deceiver and an accuser talking to you? That is not God. That is not God's truth. But yet, and it's funny because there are people who, if you talk to them, logically they know these things, these beliefs they have about themselves are not true. You know logically and and intellectually you know that's not true, right? Well, yeah, I guess so. But yet everything you do, you respond as though it is. I know, it's just, I just see myself that way. It's because someone planted a seed and a deceiver and an accuser has hammered on that. Those are some of his core strategies. I think what we can understand, and we can kind of summarize at least this portion, is that our enemy is real, and he is to be taken seriously. He is to be taken seriously. That being said, but we do not need to be afraid of him. Because, and the second thing I want us to understand is this, God has given us everything we need to win. God has given us everything we need to win. That's what's so significant here. We don't need to be afraid. We need to be prepared. That's what Paul's telling us. He's not telling us, oh my gosh, be afraid. This is really bad. You guys better run from this. He's not saying that at all. He's actually saying, no, no, this is real. But you don't have to be afraid because God's given you everything you need to win. And then he goes through what some of those things are. And I want us just to kind of go through them real quickly. Right from Ephesians chapter 6. Those things we looked at, the belt of truth. Obviously, when you're dealing with a deceiver, truth is always the best way to deal with a deceiver. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's why we stand on the truth. That's why we talk about the truth. That's why we believe truth exists regardless of our opinions of it. Because one of the things the deceiver tries to do is always bend and twist the truth. Second thing he talks about, so the belt of truth, he talks about the, blessed, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And I love that because the breastplate is what guards your heart, your vital organs. And it is the righteousness. Where, where is our righteousness from, according to the scripture? Our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. So often we step out, when we get into battle of any kind... Think about the political battles. Think about just social media. Think about how many people step outside of righteousness. They're followers of Jesus Christ. They should know better, but we step outside of righteousness. And let me tell you, the minute we do that, 
The minute we do that, the minute we say, okay, yeah, I know, Jesus, you're great and all, but, man, this is a, this is a political fight. i got to throw off the gloves and i got to fight. And we start throwing off the righteousness. We become vulnerable. And the first thing that is, is injured is our heart. Our heart becomes hard, and we start, we start kind of hating on other people. We, start, because we, we see, start seeing them as the enemy instead of who Paul says is really the enemy. The breastplate of righteousness, stand firm in the righteousness of Christ. and Protect your heart. Feet shod with the gospel of peace. I love this. I don't think Paul's accidental in these. Feet are the thing that takes us. It's how we go. Remember what the mission is. Remember, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Remember, we're about carrying the gospel. When we get engaged in battle, don't forget the mission. One of the worst things that happen, we get taken off mission. We get pulled off mission. That, that's one of the, the minute we start seeing other people as the enemy, we forgot. No, 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 they're, they're who we're supposed to reach. Your feet are to be constantly shod saying, this is the gospel of peace. I'm supposed to carry the gospel of peace. It is a protection. The minute I step outside of that, I become vulnerable. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. If you'd like to hear this full message called Spirit-Filled Worship, it's available right now on demand when you find the sermon series on the Spirit-Filled Life at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note that this program blessed you, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. And we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.